Hey guys, and welcome back. I'm Chris Bircher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, and this is episode 71, Sustainability. So sort of building off of the accountability and some of the other episodes that I've done, uh, the last three episodes, as, as part of the R versus should problem, right? Because I think I'm at the point now where it's like, well, the person that we are is probably, you know, better if you if you want to add, if you want to assign some sort of you know, prejudice to it. It's, it's, it's who we want to be uh, versus the person that we feel like we should be, which is the person where we're getting societal pressure to sort of uh, alter the way we really feel to fit into the world or whatever. But as I mentioned in the last couple episodes, there's probably a few more assumptions that go into the R that, that are important, like, you know, the golden rule. You, you know, you don't, people have said, criticism of this is, well, Jeffrey Dahmer you know, his R was he wanted to eat people. And so, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, well, uh, yeah, well, that's a, that's a, you can find exceptions to every rule. I'm talking about people who just want to live better lives and more peaceful, more joyful, and more calm. Uh, I think the more that we live in our R, the more that we do that. And, and a couple of things that we have to realize is that one, the golden rule applies. We have to treat ourselves the way that we want others to treat us. And we have to treat other people the way that we want them to treat us. And we also have to realize that, um, there's a there's a responsibility to hold ourselves accountable for that. That inherent to the R versus should problem is um, the natural inclination to express our DNA, which again I've mentioned before will be will be developed later as what I call uh, the uniqueness imperative. That it is actually imperative as inherent in, in, in having DNA that we allow the DNA to develop as fully as it possibly can, which means it's expressed both genotypically and phenotypically in the environment by becoming the person who we are. Anyway, this idea of sustainability, uh, I, I think is critical because it's another assumption that I make that we can't trick the system. You can't override the basic fundamental elements of ecology, of, of life on earth, um, it's almost like I see a new field emerging for me personally of like the physics of biology or, or what I'm, I think I will call or will end up being more the ecology of the self, which sort of superimposes how we understand relationships and ecosystems and applies it to humans, you know, but it's not human ecology because human ecology is literally the way our biological meat bags interact with each other in the environment, which is just ecology applied to humans. What I'm talking about is applying that ecological principles to the, the consciousness, right? And so this is one step at getting closer to that. And sustainability is a fundamental element because you can't put a limited amount of resources in, into a problem because those resources are limiting. You can't work... 90-hour work weeks forever. Okay, so what do I mean by sustainability? If you look at Merriam-Webster, it's, you know, what I, this is, well, first of all, the ecological definition where I came into sustainability was the, the maintenance of structure and function of a system. So it's just like, make sure it keeps working the way that it's working. <laughs> and in order, and you know, that implies a lot of things, right? You know, if it's about resources, you can't use them up. And so the, the, the best definition I've seen is to be able to be used without being used up. I love that, right? It means something can happen, but it doesn't exhaust itself. And so that leads into where I really first understood sustainability was 
by a paper that we have to read when you're taking ecology at some point in your career. You read a paper called The Tragedy of the Commons by a guy named Garrett Hardin. I love this because just like the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act and the Endangered Species Act, the Tragedy of the Commons all came out around the year I was born. Tragedy of the Commons came out in 1969. Those other things happened in 72, 73, 74. But 50 years or so, right, uh, that this has even been around, which blows my mind because I'm like, when was that paper written? That had to be like in the 1600s. Um, But the idea in the Tragedy of the Commons is that the ecological resources of planet Earth and this is from an ecology perspective, but also it could be thought of in any other way, economics, you know, love, um, just basic energy and physics. Uh, the idea is that resources are limited. There's only so much stuff. Now, it changes form, and so theoretically, stuff could change form from one thing to the thing that you need, even though it looks like you're running out of the thing that you need, while well, all of a sudden more of it appears. Like you can't breathe all the oxygen out of the air because more oxygen is continually being reduced. And in ecosystems, we study these biogeochemical cycles. It's like, how much nitrogen is there? Well, we're making more, we're using more, and, then, and that's all supposed to balance, right? And so the idea is that the world is balanced. Um, by by things being removed of it, but not being used up because they're continually being replenished. That's getting a little more at it. But what Hardin said was, it's tragic that we don't see that. We see these resources out there as just being the commons. It belongs to everybody. And so everybody can use it. And he's like, we really, that was a bad idea. Because without without recognizing uh, well, it's not not that it was a bad idea to say they were common. That, I think, is fair, right? I mean, my favorite people that ever existed on the worst, mostly the on the earth, mostly all the indigenous cultures, they didn't even believe that you could possess parts of the earth, right? Of course it's the commons. It belongs to everybody. It doesn't belong to anybody. We belong to the earth. It doesn't belong to us. And so it's pretty absurd to think about the commons in that respect, but I don't think we should have thought about it as the coal companies own all the coal in West Virginia. That's the wrong way to do it. So they're more common than not. Uh, but the tragedy was to think that they were inexhaustible resources. And, and, and my, I think this is in the tragedy of the commons, but it's also the way it's explained. You know, when white people first, well, when the Columbus crew of white people came to the United States in the Chesapeake Bay, they saw the Chesapeake Bay and were like, holy shit, there's so much fish and shellfish and resources and woods here, it's inexhaustible. This could last people forever indefinitely, and we can take whatever we want because there's no way we could use up all this, which is kind of hard for me to believe. Another example that's commonly shared is that the, the historic salmonid runs in the Pacific Northwest, you know, where the, the salmon live out in the ocean to get big and fat and eat all the resources, but they come up those streams every year to the same little place and spawn and then die. That whole simul parody, itero parody um, thing, catadromous and nadromous lifestyles where you come in and out of the ocean and freshwater. Anyway, when the salmon runs would happen, they're really important economically nowadays. There are stories of these runs happening and the salmon being so dense running into these little tiny streams where they were born that you could walk across them without touching the bottom of the stream. I mean, if I saw that, I'd be like, damn, that's a lot of fish. There's some people over here, but we can't possibly eat all that. So I get it. I understand, you know, and and superimposed on this, and we were aware of this to a degree in 70 than we were now, but we're still kind of ignorant and oblivious to this idea. There's just too many freaking people on Earth. So the tragedy of the commons, in a way, is that 
we've got too many people for these common resources to be sustainable. But anyway, that paper got at the idea of sustainability. You can't remove more from the system than the system gives without running out. And when it runs out, it crashes. If you eat all the salmon before they spawn, they don't spawn. There's no more next year. And that's kind of what we're doing. Uh, you know, my, my undergrad degree is fisheries management. One of the big things we studied was all the fishery stocks globally, which are huge, huge foundations to economies and diets of people worldwide. I mean, fish can feed the earth if we do it right. And so fisheries management is about making sure you take fish from the oceans, but you make sure there's enough <laughs> left to spawn and you know replenish them so that we can do this sustainably through time. The sustainable fisheries idea. But now it's being applied to everything, right? I mean, you everything we do, for me, I'm like, look at people like these hustlers. I'm hustling. You know, I'm working 90 hours a week and I'm putting a lot of money in the bank and I'm going to get, that's great. You know what? As long as you realize it's not sustainable. You ever heard of burnout? (laughs) Do you know how widespread burnout is? You know, my wife is in healthcare, you know, one of the dream jobs of people. Uh, and all those folks are burning out, you know. You know why? Because they work too damn much and the, the, the system has, getting, has changed so much in order to accommodate, you know, economics uh, that it's just become unsustainable. And so, you know, I don't think we should strive for a scene like Wally. I use this all the time where we're sitting in our lazy boy plugged into a feeding tube with a remote control in our hand. Like, that's not what we're aspiring to, right? That's not sustainable either because you're, you know, you'd be depressed, your spirit would be down, you'd, you'd die of heart disease because you're not exercising. You know, that I'm talking about general, healthy R type, R A R E in the R versus his problem, light type living. The R has to be sustainable. Another assumption that goes in there is we can't, we can't hustle. We can't trick the system. We can't look for the loopholes uh, that that get that that are like get rich quick schemes. That model doesn't work. Now, it might work over the short term, and so that that you know, um, I'm not going to argue that a person who's 22 with a college degree doesn't go out and bust their ass and live in a teepee for two or three years to stockpile a whole bunch of cash and invest it. And then not have to work anymore and then have a digital nomadic life. All right, I might argue with that. But you're not saying you're going to do that for the rest of your life. That's the part that's not sustainable. You know, it's like it's like the traditional American family from the 50s, what I always call the 50s dads, where the dads worked and the moms bent over backward to do everything in their, in their power uh, to ensure that the dad had no problems in their lives, took care of the kids, took care of the house, made the food, let the dad have affairs, let the dad go out drinking, let the dad have a nice car, whatever the dad wanted, and whatever the man. That worked out really good for the men who were living in the 50s. But you know what? It wasn't sustainable. Not letting women vote worked out really well for fat white men in the late 1800s and midnight, through the midnight, for, a hun- for hundreds of years. And kind of... To an extent, it still does. But you know what? Women didn't like it. It wasn't sustainable. You know what? Slavery and racism worked out really good for the rich, fat, white dudes for a long time. Until it didn't. Thank God. And that's another one that even though (laughs) by 
ridiculousness of the world that there can still exist racism and gender bias that's allowed to perpetuate and is not held accountable and has enabled blows my goddamn mind. But it, but it really just goes to show you how strong those systems were at preventing and trying to force sustainability of something that wasn't right. Right. I mean, and that's the, so that's, that's another side of this. So there's, there's, yeah, eating greed is wrong. It's not sustainable. Gluttony, even worse. Massive greed. It ain't going to work. And thank God there are enabling mechanisms inherent in the planet and the universe that say, it's impossible. It's not going to, we're not going to artificially create oxygen for you. You know, if you breathe it all up because you get whatever, you know, if we started some weird economic habit that said you could burn off oxygen and you could turn oxygen into money, you damn right that there we'd be dead, right? We'd be dead. Think about that. Because those powers were so strong, the urge to burn that oxygen into money would be so strong that we'd suffocate, you know, while... 1% of the world was driving Ferraris around or whatever, you know. I don't even know what that looks like, but... And, and people will say that that's just the way it is. Humans are evil and they're going to do that. But I fundamentally don't believe that. And I think the solution to that is somewhere in this R versus should problem where if we as individuals realize that this unsustainable nature of reality dictates we change our behavior in order to fit a, a sustainable lifestyle that we all kind of agree on through a discourse and di- diplomacy and democracy, which we're supposed to be doing. Isn't that why? Don't you think Andrew Jackson had at least part of that in his head? Or, you know, government in general? You know, don't you think going back to Greek times when we're like, God, and we don't have any rules and we just let people go crazy, shit falls, goes south real quick. What are we going to do about that? Don't you think part of that is sustainability, you know? And figuring out the human value system, the universal human value system that needs to govern our behavior to whatever degree that the norms and the rules and the laws should be written to semi-regulate, and I'm not talking about communism or even socialism, but probably more egalitarian than representative democracy, because what good is that done? Um, Well, what good is that doing now? You know, we can do this, but it's up to us to change. And, And part of that change is, you know, I was talking to my wife about this. I don't have the solution, but I know where it lies. Like, because I can see the problems. The problem fundamentally is that our reward system is power and money. The carrots that we wave in front of humans is power and money. And that's inherently flawed. You know, our our, our currency, and see my currency of life episode, shouldn't be that abusable and that monopolizable and that regulatable on paper only and not in reality (laughs) kind of thing. And not that artificial. What is money anyway? We made it up. What is power? You know, it it shouldn't be... Indigenous cultures didn't have these things, right? 
Now, one could argue that the reason we need these things is because it's overcrowded. Competition has ensued. But, you know, I will argue that competition's been around for a really long time. And at its fundamental best, competition competition is a regulatory mechanism that facilitates sustainability. So competition knows resources are limited. Competition only happens when resources are limited. But if we just keep printing money, it isn't limited. I can have as much of it as I want. And, and, and that has been pretty well illustrated in the last 10 years that you can actually stockpile all the money. You know, in the direction we're going, one person's going to have it, and then what? That's not sustainable. So anyway, it's about us as individuals, and and maybe this is happening in my previous episode um, about the Great Resignation. Maybe it's what we're doing now. I look at the millennials, and I have hope. And I hope it's not just the same repetitive youthful naivety that happens every generation that people grow out of. Um, when they get to be adults, but I have hope that the value system is changing, that now we value more things like time with our families, peace, calm, tranquility. Damn, that sounds exciting to me. Give me a job where you pay me in time. I'll take it, man. Now, we all have to cover our basic needs, right? I mean, money can't go away any time soon altogether, but we existed for hundreds of thousands of years without it. So there's a a better way to sustainability that isn't about money and power. Because again, if those things are on top, there's always going to be a mad, gluttonous fight for those things. And it's that in and of itself diminishes sustainability because it stockpiles resources um, in, in too small of a pile and it doesn't consider them shared or common. Um. So I think part of that, and I have a couple of ways that I could that I think of initially to go down this path of how how we do this. And the first step would be to admit that of this kind this kind of abundance is overrated, right? We we talk a lot about a, a, an abundant mindset and the idea that there are infinite resources available to all of us that everybody can be a billionaire. And maybe that's true with respect to money, but I don't I think if we followed that through logically and tried to figure out how that's possible, we'd find that it isn't. It sounds really good from a self-help perspective. You know, you can be just like Tony Robbins. You can be smart and fit and rich. Everybody can. I, you know, mm, I believe that everybody has the capacity to do that if that's what they want, but they might not want it, and they certainly don't all have equal opportunity to do that. And we can fix that and change that, but why would you want to help everybody be millionaires, right? So I think abundance is possible if we have redefined our value system with realistic expectations and a mindset of connectivity and sharing. Yeah. All right. If we do that, if we go upstream far enough and change our value system, away from greed and toward connectivity, hell yeah, abundance, absolutely. In an egalitarian, semi-socialist, social democracy society, there's plenty of resources to go around. And then you think about food. We also got to change our diet. I mean, and so this is going to trickle down to some really specific things that we can do. But the most upstream generalized thing I can say is that we got to change our value system from power and money to connectivity 
in order to find an abundance world where sustainability is possible. Because it's like sustainable what? (laughs) Sustainable peace, harmony, tranquility, and health, and all, yeah, sure, yes. Outside the realm of all those things being replaced with money and power. So an example that I can come up with is vegetarianism. And, and, and hear me out, because I'm not a vegetarian. I don't, I don't, I'm an omnivore, and I don't, and it mostly just because I don't care, really. I don't want to, I don't care enough to think about it. Maybe someday I will. I'm not perfect, and I'm not saying that everybody does this. I'm just saying here's a solution that I'd actually agree to go along with if I could get enough people to do it. And maybe one day I have to get off my ass and be the guy that does it in order to serve as an example. I don't really know. But I use the example of a cow because I think it represents the point. And mostly because I used to think vegetarianism for a purpose was stupid. I like eating a varied diet. It sounds hard to not eat meat. It'd be harder for me to get enough calories to not be hungry all the time. I know a lot of vegetarians that are fat, right? It it seems like we haven't figured that out. It's a great idea, but come back to me when you've got all the bugs and kinks worked out of it. Whatever. Again, I'm not trying to tell people what to do. I'm just saying here's an example. And I don't have the numbers, but trust me that, you know, this is approximate or at least it's proportionally proportionally accurate. The acres of land and the gallons of water required to make a cow, which will produce so many steaks, let's say, let's say it'll produce 10 units of steaks. It's going to take a thousand units of land and water. In that same a thousand units of land and water, you can grow enough spinach or vegetables to produce a thousand units of food. In other words, a cow is an meat is an incredibly inefficient process because the conversion of the original food source, which is photosynthesis, which is a free, <laughs> it requires light and air. I mean, in as much as light and air commodities, the closer you can eat to that photosynthesis, the more efficient the process is. The less energy is lost as that plant matter is converted through the food web to a cow, which is super. And it's super inefficient in a way because it can eat grass, but the energy loss in that process is phenomenal. And so the energetic units of meat that you get are a fraction of the energetic units of the plants that we could have eaten in the first place. And so to me, that's the best argument for being a vegetarian is it's just better for the planet. And it's better, more importantly, for the numbers of people. Now, I think there's a fish-based diet that we could have. But if you made, you know, and, and the reason beef is still such a big part of our economy is farm subsidies, right? It's because we don't, you know, we value the traditional farming lifestyle because it's part of what made America great in the first place to the point where we're going to pump it up and we're going to, you know, prop it up as long as we can. That's not, none of that. Propping up is not sustainable, um, in, a per, in, a, in, a, in a perfectly free market, meat would have been gone a long time ago, right? And, and in, and in, in pop more economically stressed markets, it's more of a luxury and less of a common thing, right? Anyway, um, and that's just to, to serve as an example of efficiencies, that we could implement that will require some lifestyle changes, right? Nobody wants to give up. A lot of people don't want to give up meat. But if we sort of 
figured out a way that we could agree that that's important and that's possible by changing our value systems and sort of rethinking and things like the great resignation and resets, we can get to a point where we can start to make real changes. Uh, But as long as we value, and this is a big one, and this is another podcast episode, that idea of rugged individualism and individual freedoms, as long as we value that over the collective, we're screwed. You know, every man for himself doesn't work. It's not sustainable. You know, being connected and recognizing that we are a crowded community of partners and loved ones and brothers and sisters and all of that stuff and, you know, all connected by our DNA and we all come from the same source, that, as woo-woo as that sounds, that's the mindset that's going to give us sustainability and abundance in all, in all things. And, and, and until we're willing to do what it takes, and I don't even know what that is, but it, it's not that big of a sacrifice. Certainly there are people around the world making way worse sacrifices on a daily basis. Till we do that, till we get leaders that, 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 that think like that, until we discuss these things, until we share it, until we help each other understand why that's important, you know, the rest is just crap. It's just, the rest is just an unsustainable, you know, shot in the dark of, um, you know, of exhausting resources uh, and using them up while we use them. Anyway, I don't want to be, I don't want this to come across as being cynical and depressing because my position, my mindset on this is that it's way doable, that we're smart enough, we have the resources to do it. Compared to the things that we've done in the past, this is simple. And the one thing that's missing from our existence on the earth right now is this value in connectivity uh, to one another um, and how that allows us to actually live better lives in the short term and certainly in the long term. You know, it's so doable and it's so exciting that things like episode 70, the the great resignation, those things are happening to me kind of go, oh, we're going to do it. It's actually going to work. And so that's how I want you know, this to come across. And hopefully I have. It's been a pleasure, and this has been Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, Episode 71, Sustainability. I'm Chris Bercher. I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Take it easy.